I think it just cuts to the, the very nub of who we are. I think it's taken a long time to get to this point, but our mental well-being and our physical well-being, beyond those two things, there is nothing else. If you're in a position of leadership at work and you're leading people, they need to be fundamentally happy people, which money does not buy happiness. Promotion doesn't buy happiness, but, but their well-being, you know, that, that's, that's always got to be your, your base camp. Hello and welcome to Run the Business, the podcast that explores the place where running and leadership come together. We'll find out how running can help us with leading, connecting with people and generally being better in business. We also try and answer that question, do runners make better leaders? I'm Anthony Gay and today I'm joined by a man with a background in business, management and sports science that led him to create LGN Wellbeing, a specialist wellbeing company that provides businesses like Unilever, BP, Omnicom Media, Pono Ricard, and many others with in-house run club training. His own running life is not to be sniffed at as well. We'll talk more about that in the conversation. But he's also the race director and the man behind the night of the 10,000 meter PBs, which has been described as the Glastonbury of 10Ks. Ben Poshy, welcome to Run the Business. Ben, how are you today? I'm great, and thank you so much for um, for having me on, and uh, I've, I'm very flattered to be asked, so thank you. And it's a busy time for you, I appreciate, with the event coming up uh, fairly soon. Uh, tell us, first of all, where you are in the world, and when did you last go running, Ben? I am in a town in Cornwall called Hale, which is about uh, three to four miles away from St. Ives, and uh, so where we live. And uh, the last time I ran was on Friday morning with my dog, Dennis, over uh, kind of sandy dunes that we call Towns in Cornwall. Ben, to start with, can we talk about the thing that I think has taken up most of your time right now, the night of the 10,000 metre PBs, for anybody who isn't familiar with it, who doesn't know what it is, can you tell us about it and describe it? Well, thanks. Yeah. Well, anyone listening? So May the 20th, London, Hampstead Heath, please come along. Um, so Night of the 10,000 Meter PBs is, is an event that was started in 2013 by myself and club mates at uh, our club in North London called Highgate Harriers. And the, the idea I had was that uh, we had Mo Farah had just won the London Olympics, but there were very few racing opportunities for British athletes who were aspiring to be the next Mo. So very, very good club athletes who essentially are looking for uh, Olympic or world championship qualifying times or the level below those guys. And they're aspiring to be the guys who are close enough to trying to get onto that world stage. So prior to this, athletes would have to fund themselves over to America and do, uh, there's a few 10,000 meter races over there that are really high quality. And so they would... They would pay, they would fly over to America and they would try and run the qualifying times. And, um, yeah, we decided that let's try and do something uh, like that in the UK. And so that British athletes had an opportunity to progress and learn the sport and, you know, move their way up and hopefully follow, you know, Mo Farah and his gold medal, uh, 10,000 meter winning ways in the London Olympics. Um, so yeah, the, the event started in 2013. Yeah. It became the. British championships in 2014. And if you like the two clear kind of goals that have grown over the time in terms of delivery have been number one, trying to help British athletes run faster. So that's kind of if one metric we try and measure ourselves against. And then the other one I always had was trying to create atmosphere 
that would help elicit a, you know, excellent performance. And so by creating the atmosphere, this is one side of the event that has really grown is trying to find unique ways that we can engage the event with people. So that means, um, having spectators and crowds standing in lane three of the track. So really close to the athletes to create that atmosphere and creating a party kind of vibe circus entertainers. We get the athletes have to run through uh, 30, 40 this year, we've got a 60 meter marquee, which is where we sell the beer. So we call it our lactic tunnels of love. <laughs> and, uh, they are decked out with hundreds and hundreds of spectators who are gathering, having a community moment of all get together amongst kind of running friends and their community while watching and cheering some of the best athletes on the planet, try and run 10,000 meters as quick as they can. And that, that simple kind of goal of, you know, helping athletes run quicker and doing so via atmosphere has kind of been the growth over 10 years. So if you were to come to the event on May the 20th this year, it would look a, a whole lot different to where we were, you know, back in 2013, 2014, but those key kind of values have, have stayed the same. And that's kind of how we've built the event. And, and now we are attracting athletes from, you know, East Africa, from Japan, from all over the world, essentially to an event that is hosted by volunteers from a community-based club, you know, on a track that ordinarily is a completely basic council run track. And yet, yeah, we, you know, we make it make the difference the day before we do a great build, we build bridges over the track so spectators can watch from the infield and, uh, yeah, we try and ultimately celebrate our sport and bring everyone together to celebrate, you know, running in this country is a, an amazing volunteer driven community enterprise. And I think, uh, I like to think the event in some ways goes a long way to kind of celebrating the people behind making that sport happen. It's a fantastic event and anybody listening to this, I mean, you've described it exceptionally well, by the way, but if anybody wants to get a flavor of it, uh, I'll put a video, uh, a link in the notes to the show so you can kind of get, I know there's some stuff around on YouTube so people can get a flavor of that sizzle, that showbiz that you describe. And I, I kind of want to pick up on that second point around the the energy. And I know you've talked about the energy in, in running in the running community being there and your job being to activate that energy, to tap into that energy. H how did you, how did you do that? I mean, it's, it's taken you a few years to get to the point that it is now, but, but what did you see as, as the ways to tap into that energy that surrounds running and, and help people perform better? I'd like to say it was a great plan. I mean, I, th I think that would be, um, that would be overselling. Uh, myself really, I think a lot of it was organic, but I mean, it's, it's from some basic insights. I knew, um, my own performances when I was a club runner, I was always massively heightened when we used to do things called the club relays, the 12 stage and the six stage are iconic grassroots club relays. And, um, I always used to perform a lot better, uh, when I attended these relays because you had your teammates around you. And there was a kind of slightly more looser vibe in terms of people would run around to different parts of the course to cheer you on. And that energy would always transfer to my performance. I always ran better at the relay. So I was immediately thinking how we could use that. I've also spent some time racing on bikes and I used to go to Belgium to do what they call Kermesse bike racing over there. And again, the whole town stops and the whole town becomes part of the event in Belgium. And so it was also looking at the energy that those those events have and kind of what, what goes to making it. And you know, there's some simple stuff. It's food, it's booze, 
it's good access and it's, it's open access. So, so it's non-ticketed. It's a big open invitation where the community are basically saying, you know, please come be part of this and celebrate with us. So where did just switching into uh, to talk about your your business as well now, LGM Wellbeing, and uh, that's a specialist wellbeing company that is into in-house run club training. How did you sort of see the opportunity to take your experience in running uh, and your knowledge? And, and again, it's that energy, isn't it, of bringing people together? How how did LGN come about and, and where does that fit in your story? Well, LGN pays the bills. It fits quite neatly. Obviously, Night of the 10,000 is a completely volunteer-derived uh, enterprise uh, and LGN Wellbeing started. I used to work in advertising for 12, 13 years. And um, I decided to get out, but my background was obviously running. I had a degree in sports science and kind of you could see that there was a, a, a clear need for running was starting to boom back in kind of, this was kind of the, around the 2000 point. And so it seemed like a real good opportunity to leverage kind of, if you like, my expertise and what I had academically and try and provide it in an environment where people were keen to learn and do more and uh, my advertising agency at the time worked closely with some big charity 5k runs and uh, you could see that the people who were working the account didn't really understand too much about running and there was a nice way to build some empathy, which was you know, quite simply to get people running from the agency. So we started that. We created our own in-house run club led by me. And yeah, by then I decided that the time was right to to step away from the advertising industry and see whether there was scope for me to open up and expand this service to originally just to other advertising agencies, which we did. And then we got into other businesses, but yeah, essentially providing a trusted source of expertise in an area that, that there, there weren't a lot of people who really knew, you know, how to deliver running to people who weren't actually already part of a, of, of a running club hmm. setup or culture. Um, and so. Yeah, it was, um, we, we neatly found a way to kind of work alongside companies' well, well-being policies. And I think we're, you know, we're cost-effective enough and we're flexible enough that we, we provide a really nice way that companies can provide, you know, in their culture, thriving way that a coach can come in and offer ongoing advice. You know, we provide a service that's 24-7 in terms of coach support um, via email, as well as the physical sessions. And then we kind of put a goal on the end of it where we started to create uh, corporate running kind of intercompany running events, simple 5k runs, which we would host in kind of uh, the Royal Parks in London and create a bit of competition between companies. And it's just really simple stuff, really. But sometimes simple is a really nice way just to get action, you know, be it, be it getting sign off from budget. Uh, and albeit, you know, getting people to lace up their shoes and get them out running and get them out at lunchtime or evening and, you know, really be energized by the physicality of running. And this podcast is all about how running might help people in, in business or in leadership you know, become better. And, and what, what tangible sort of uh, outcomes have you seen from, from that work that you've, you've done with the, the brands, the companies that you've worked with? Well, yeah, what are the, what are the, the really nice positives that I hadn't really encountered in my kind of, when I was thinking about it is how it brings people together from large companies who, who perhaps wouldn't share that amount of time together normally. So from different departments, we did it originally where there was a large agency that did a large merger 
And uh, part of the HR team's drive was to get the two cultures to merge in different ways. And historically in advertising, obviously the way they would normally do that would just be a big boozy evening together, which, which, which definitely can work for some people, but it definitely doesn't work for everybody. And, you know, increasingly now health is, you know, it's seen quite rightly as, as a more important factor. And so that, you know, trying to find other ways other than just the lure of free booze to get people together and interact. And I think when you are, I mean, people who do run will know that once those endorphins start flowing, people are able to interact with each other in a slightly different way. Um, I just think it, it breaks down barriers. Uh, I think your energy level and your ability to express yourself are all amplified. And then, you know, I just know from my own experience that running for, you know, for several years when I was in quite a stressful environment was one of the few ways that I could actually remove that stress was by having you know, constructive fatigue, um, not too much, but you know, if you are, if you've got a nice physical glow of fatigue about you, I used to find it really, it went a long way to trying to removing some of those internal stresses I'd built up. Um, and mm. so, yeah, I think that was always one of the two key factors we used to work on was building a culture and communities together, increasing conversation. And it's just the pure physicality of well-being, really, be it, uh, you know, your headspace and your body space in terms of those improvements. You mentioned your own running experience and, and you were, I, I mentioned it in the intro, not to be sniffed at, you, you were a successful runner with I Get Harry's, weren't you? You, you for many years, were part of that, and, and I guess still are part of that club. You mentioned the cycling. Uh, can, you, can you give us a bit of context as, as to kind of how serious it was in your life for, for that period? So, yeah, I took. I was a member of Highgate Harris from 1984 and I just enjoyed it. It was my little, uh, it was my community. It was my gang. And so, yeah, we'd compete at, you know, young athlete level and it, it was great. And then I got a bit better and a bit better. And, um, as you keep improving, you always think anything's impossible. And that's, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the gimmies of being a young person. You know, you have all that hope, which is great. And so, yeah, I mean, I ran for England, um, as a 18, 19 year old. And I won medals nationally on the track. Uh, I used to do the steeplechase, that brutal event running over big barriers and then the water jump. And yeah, I got, I, I had some national success and I went to Loughborough University on a, you know, the UK equivalent of a scholarship. Basically, they let me get in with slightly worse A-level grades. Well, I may add my A-level grades where actually ended up being all right. right. But yes, I was lured to Loughborough because I was running for England at the time. Yeah. And in the scheme of things, I didn't go much beyond that. So yeah, I, I didn't really, I had a whole bag of kind of injuries, uh, which came while I was at university. And so I, yeah, I came back from those injuries and I always ran at club level. So yeah, at the end of the day, I probably was a, a really good club level runner who had the odd stint of running for England, which was great. And I think, yeah. At the time, you don't know where your running's going to go. And so you kept thinking, oh, well, maybe I can make the next step up. Maybe I can, you know, make it to a big games. Maybe I can run for GB. Because at Loughborough, we were training with people like Paula Radcliffe. Jack Buckler was there, who's now obviously head of British Athletics. But for me at the time was a, a super fantastic uh, 5K runner. He'd uh, won the European champs. So yeah, you're surrounded by quality. And so, yeah, it just uh, does help you to believe that, yeah anything is possible. Yeah. And then I got into cycling after I managed to snap my ACL in a steeplechase event, which was unfortunate, but the, the flip side was, it was great. I, in rehabbing, okay. I got into cycling and then, you know, I was, I was, it, I was young-ish 
Well, I probably wasn't actually, I was early thirties, but I was single. And so I had time on my hands and I trained really <laughs> hard on the bike. And next thing you know, you know, I was racing around on a bike at the kind of little prem calendar races at the highest level you can race in the UK and doing the nationals, lining up against people like Mark Cavendish, um, and then racing over in Belgium and doing things like, uh, the RAS, which is this amateur pro Irish bike race over eight days. And so, yeah, really just great breadth of experience. And it, I think the cycling in many ways was fantastic. I got to, I got to meet a whole nother community of people who competed at sport at a high level. Um, and like we were, like I was just saying earlier, really, I think the racing in Belgium was part of the seeds of my thoughts about, you know, what we could do to create something like night at the 10,000 meter PVs. Mm -hmm. Did you ever, have you ever thought consciously about the lessons that you, you took from your time, uh, in, in running as, as you were, you know, you were exploring how good you were as, as a, as an athlete and, you know, building a new community around you. Did you ever consider what that did to you as a person and, and how, when you went into business and, and, you know, you mentioned your, your time in, in agencies and, and kind of how that shaped you or, or, or influenced who you were. I think running, running was a, um, was always a, a real help for me in business because not directly in the business I did, but more, it just gave me confidence in, in myself. Um, and I, I don't think you need to be a good runner to have that, but it's almost you, it gave me my own world and my own sphere of confidence where, you know, I, I was fully entrenched. I had a good community of people and I had, you know, you had that kind of peer approval for what you do from outside of my work. And I think if I didn't have that, it's very easy for work to be the thing that you try and cling to where you get your approval. And so I think it was very useful to me and it was a really powerful tool in that I, whatever was happening with work, you know, whether I was able to, you know keep growing the little business and sell into new clients. I always had the fallback position of, you know, here's my running, here's my group, here's, here's all that validation of good stuff that, you know, is outside of work. So I think, yeah, mm. confidence was probably the biggest thing, you know, and you can take confidence for me was standing up into, you know, a room of execs and giving a presentation of, you know, why to HR, uh, they should be, you know, buying into your services. I think it, it really helped give you that little aura of, you know, you've got something else in your life with, you know, that, that is a positive force. Mm. And I think that's probably the main thing I think in work, in work that uh, one of the key drivers was always having that as a bit like your buoyancy aid, really. Mm. And, and why do you think leaders these days, why is health, fitness, why is, do, do you, I mean, you're, you're there right involved at, at you know, at, at, the, at the cutting edge of it. Why do you think health and fitness is so much more important these days? I think it just cuts to the, the very nub of who we are. I think it's taken a long time to get to this point, but, uh, you know, our mental well-being and our physical well-being beyond those two things, there is nothing else. You know, we, everything starts. So, you know, if you're, if you're in a position of leadership at work, you know, and you're leading people, you know, they need to be fundamentally happy people, which, you know, money does not buy happiness. Promotion doesn't buy happiness, but, but their well-being, you know, that's, that's always got to be your, your base camp of anything you go from. I think, uh, you know, for too long, uh, leaders and the culture of work approached, approach people in a different way. And I think, um, I think it just makes sense 
from a 360 degree perspective, really, whether you're coming at it slightly cynically from a, as a business that's trying to maximize everything you can from your employees to actually, you know, companies that look genuinely at their staff as part of a family. And they're looking at kind of how well healthy they are, you know, like we said, physically and mentally. I just think they're the fundamentals to individuals' lives, but also to how they work within a company and how they then bounce off each other within that company to kind of give dynamism to a company going forward. Who inspires you in leadership, Ben? That's a good question, Ant. I, I, I don't have a ready answer for you. <laughs> I'll come back to you on that. Okay. In the world of running, I mean, I can flip it around the other way. When, you know, and you've, you've, you've mentioned a few athletes over the, the course of this conversation that are, you know, uh, immense legends in, in the world of running. Is there anybody that sticks out as somebody that has, has taught you uh, a lesson who, who has inspired you in the world of running to be, to be a better runner or just be a better human? Um, I just, I think, um, lots and lots of the people within the club community, you know, there are, you go to any running race in the UK and, uh, any non-commercial running race. And essentially it, the people making it happen are people who've been in the sport for 50 years plus, you know, you'll see, you know, track races, you'll see timekeepers of a really high level. So, uh, for people who don't know, you know, track races are graded in terms of their quality. And if you're looking to qualifying times to go to the Olympics or the world championships, the officials there have to be of the highest grade. And often you're looking at octogenarians and these guys have, you know, have been in the sport for 50 plus years and they've been the bedrock of our sport. And it's been based on giving up their time. You know, they probably, uh, a lot of them were runners, uh, competitors, sprinters, jumpers, throwers back in the day. And what they have invested over the years is the only real thing has been the kind of the golden thread that has allowed sport, uh, athletics, um, to continue. Um, so I think, you know, that's what night of the 10,000 meter PBs originally part of my plan was always to celebrate the fundamental people who have allowed the sport to flourish for years. So I was looking at doing grand fanfares for all our race officials. And I was going to hire bugleers and trumpeters to kind of make a grand uh, entrance for them, for the crowd. And obviously being the people they are, they, they're just all so modest and they didn't want any of that. They just said, just please give us a cup of tea every couple of hours. Um, but we definitely don't want bugles and, you know, but that <laughs> all I feel is I, things like night of the 10,000, I think it's, it's almost like, you know, the passing of the torch. And I like to think I'm doing my bit. And I think, you know, people who volunteer at park runs, uh, the coaches that give up their time within the sport. Um, every, to everyone in between, you know, most clubs have got someone who drives a minibus and I love, I love everything about our club system that doesn't exist in many other countries to this in the same way, for good or bad, you know, people who often complain about the club system, they want more from it, but from a system of just purely based on goodwill and people volunteering their time, I think it's, um, it's phenomenal and, uh. Uh, I think I think it's that that inspires me, and I think there's a there's an amateur, ye olde amateur kind of naivety about the way the sport operates, but it works, and it's uh, I think it's something to be celebrated. Which is again is you know part of what we try and do with Night of the Ten Thousand is celebrate the sport, not just not just the athletes running very very fast times, but celebrating everything that comes together in this kind of real subtle mesh this community support kind of ecosystem that 
allows everything to flourish. And there's something about that with celebration in in you know the the night of ten thousand and, and and in business as well, isn't there? Where celebrating success, celebrating individuals, creating that environment that allows people to to feel positive about what they're doing. It, uh, and you mentioned this earlier in the conversation. It can have a huge effect on performance, can't it? And and that ability for people to tap into that energy, whether it's in running or in business, and and raise their game to another level. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, and I think when you feel part of something, genuinely part of something, and you there is a community and everyone is kind of working towards the same goal, I think everyone raises their game because you you don't feel it's an individual task. You feel it's something that you're collectively working towards. And I think that that carries its own momentum. And I think especially if the cause is something you believe in, then everything's different. You're, you're no longer um, painting by numbers. You're paint, you know, you, you've got the added infusion of emotion. So I think, I think input, yeah, anything where there's cohesion, where it's a group and it's a group that builds over time. So from an athletics point of view, we're talking about communities that have built over time and have a shared goal, which is kind of how the event. And I think for companies, it's, you know, it's, it's, keeping people together long enough that they start to have a shared story. I think that's, there's real value in that. And there's, there's genuine kind of real forward momentum via that kind of collective responsibility. How do, have you dealt with the challenges that you've had in life? You mentioned when you were, you know, got that injury uh, and you had to kind of reassess, uh, evaluate where you were, what you were doing. When you reflect on the difficult times through your career, how did you handle those? How did you deal with those? And, and what was it that allowed you to move forward? Yeah, everyone has their own challenges. I think in a, in a sporting context, yeah, I think, um, yeah, snapping my ITB was, sorry, my ACL was, a, it was an issue. But the day it was, it was a dual thing. Obviously, when you're, uh, I was actually personal training and coaching, which required me to be physically very active as well as the fact I was competing. So yeah, when I did snap my ACL, it was, it was, it was a tough pill to swallow because A, I couldn't run for my own pleasure anymore and I couldn't compete. And equally my business then was suddenly like, right, okay, how do I, how do I pivot on this in terms of able to still keep my business coming, going, it was quite a young business at that point. And so I couldn't physically deliver it. Yeah. I, d I don't know if I dealt with it well. I. We found a solutions, both to, I got myself slowly fixed and then I got onto cycling and I think I needed that physical out, output and I found it in cycling, which was really important to my kind of headspace. And then from a business point of view, um, yeah, we, we, we looked at um, hiring people in to essentially replace me, which in many ways you could argue is what helped the business grow because I was, it was essentially limited by me doing most of the work in the early days. And then essentially we started to see all the scale up of business by employing coaches and beyond myself. Um, so yeah, I think as, as in most walks of life, really, you rely on your friends, you rely on your community, you know, and everyone was very supportive, um, to kind of help push me along. Uh, but yeah, it's never easy setbacks are, and I think accepting the fact that they're not easy. Mm. I think sometimes it's kind of pushed upon you that setbacks are always, you know, guilted kind of gold opportunities. And yeah, they might be two, three, five years down the line, but at the time, if they suck. Mm. So I think, um, yeah, uh, in retrospect, would I have done things differently? Um, I'm not sure, really. I think 
Yeah, I think I was very lucky in that the people I had, the friends I had and the opportunities I had to try other sports and work with people to keep the business going. So, yeah, I think I think friendship and community were real key drivers in helping me kind of keep going. You mentioned there about accepting a setback or seeing it as a setback, because I think that's a really good point. Sometimes we, in our over positive attitudes to certain things, can try and sort of gloss over those moments, can't we? But actually, it's sometimes it is healthy just to go, no, this, this is a blow. This is something I need to properly consider and change change direction. No, absolutely. Because I, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. Because it allows you then to accept the emotion of what you feel, mm. which you know is unhappiness, is frustration, is you know a bit of grief. And I think, yeah, I think, yeah, there is some sort of kind of dogma now that you know no setback is a setback. And I think for me, I think it was helpful to acknowledge it as a setback and acknowledge why I don't feel particularly happy. Mm. Um, it kind of gives you a bit more ownership of, you know, why you feel what you feel. Uh, but yeah, and then, yeah, hopefully for most people, the good times then can um, can start to reappear more quickly. Is there a run when you think back over your career experience? Is there a run that sticks out as something special that you could share? A, a, a particular, it doesn't have to be anything competitive, just a, a moment when you were running that has a, a story or a significance attached to it that you can remember? I think the one for me was... 2016, up in one of Europe's largest urban parks called Sutton Park in Birmingham. And I was, I was no longer competitively running, although I was running around Sutton Park. So that is the, uh, Sutton Park is the venue for the national 12 stage road relay championships. And, uh, and amazingly, we had a, we had such a great group of guys who just like we were talking about earlier, a community that had a shared belief for five, six years, we've been working towards being a strong enough team of 12, which is very hard competitively to have the depth of 12 runners, uh, to compete against the biggest clubs in the land. And, and we won it in 2016. And I just thought it was quite ironic there. We were leaping around and there was just unadulterated smiles. And I think that was probably my, that was my running highlight of my lifetime. And yet I wasn't actually running. And I wasn't competing, so I was team managing the guys and I was friends, you know, real close friends to a lot of them. And, uh, and it was just so nice that that moment could be shared with 12, 12, 12 of us up there plus myself. And then there were, there was old coaches who came to watch the event. And so, you know, people 20, 30 years older than me all sharing it together. And I think, yeah, it just made me laugh because when I was young and I was running and competitive, it was all through the blinkers of my own performance. And then, yeah, I just thought it was quite nice in many ways that like the crowning glory, the moment I thought was the sweetest was something that actually didn't involve me competing at all. I think there's something really powerful in that. And and have, have you ever considered your style? If if I asked, you know, one of those 12, tell me about Ben, well, you know, how does he work? What What would they say? I don't know. You, you, you might you might not want to hear. It. I think um, I don't know. They I often get described as a uh, benevolent dictator. So, uh, in terms of team management, um, but yeah, communication, lots and lots of communication, and getting more people to communicate about what we're all up to. And it's very easy for it to come from one person a bit too much. I think, and so trying to share out and get people who buy into it to communicate equally with you. But yeah, lots of chat, trying to do things differently, trying to have as much fun 
along the way and make people kind of all part of it. Yeah, we've got a we've got a fantastic club at Highgate Harriers now, and we, you know we're in rude health. We've actually just come back from this year's National Twelve stage, where we broke the course record and we were English champions, and we got pipped to actually winning the race overall for the UK Championships by a fantastic squad from Scotland, led by Olympian Mr. Butchart. From an athletics and a club perspective, that's why I love this event called the 12 stage so mm -hmm. much, because it does so much to bring more people with you. Normal club events, you're either scored either first four across the line or first six and the 12 stage, which back in the twenties and thirties used to be the London to Brighton relay sponsored by news of the world. It was a huge, one of the biggest kind of running events in the mm -hmm. UK. And then it's morphed into this, uh, because of traffic, you couldn't hold it in the same format. So it, they held it in a single venue and, uh, I just love it. We had two teams there. So we had, uh, we had 24 men. We also had, I think we had two women's teams. So it just extends the reach of kind of hope and dreaming to a deeper group of people, which, you know, I think, I think you could transfer that into the workspace. The more people who have a reason to be invested, you know, and in many ways, that's night of the 10,000s too, we used to put it onto the spectators. If you want to have a different event, if you want to have something to celebrate, you need to be part of that solution. And I think that's, yeah, I think that, that travels really well. The more people you have who are invested, it means something to the more you're going to get. Yeah. So like I said, the 12 stage. It's fantastic for that. Fantastic. And I, I, at this point in time, I know Night of the 10,000 is is in focus. It's, it's in vision for you. What are you doing across the next few weeks? How do you prepare to, to make this event um, even bigger than last year's? Well, I think communication is key. Um, we have got a, we've got a great title sponsor in On Running who have uh, linked our event up with on track nights that they're doing. So these are five global events of which night of the 10,000s is one. There's also an event in LA and Paris and Vienna and Melbourne. And so being part of a collective of bigger events means that they're, you know, we're part of the bigger family. There's more conversation about the event. We've also got investment from on to tell people in the UK to come and come and watch the event It's completely for free. So that's really helped the fact the event's been going now. We had for a few years and last year's winning times were, you know, quicker than, you know, the most recent Olympic gold medals were wanted. I think that really helps in terms of a reach, uh, elite athletes around the world. You know, they, they're aware of the event. They want to come to it now. So just by us keeping knocking on the door each year and improving our performances has been a great way to kind of attract people from yeah more continents a wider reach which has been great and then yeah mm -hmm. we're doing more to hopefully attract more spectators we've got loads more entertainment we've got loads more kind of circus fun more visual things that you can come along to now and just be amazed at you don't have to be a you know 100 athletics hardcore kind of aficionado to enjoy i think that's always part of it we've upped our tv production so it'll be on the bbc again and uh, working with a really good TV production team who um, have really elevated how we present the sport. And that's really important, how we present the energy from the event to show how it, you know, how it can come across on the TV. So, yeah, trying to do as much as possible to kind of bring more people in to create more energy and show what energy we already have. 
Amazing. And as I say, we'll put the links to the event and, and videos in, in the show notes so people can check that out as well. A uh, couple of quick questions to, to finish, Ben. Um, running aside, can you name a business tool, an app, something that you couldn't do without that helps you in business? I'm going to say good old-fashioned email because it's a individual email. So we, we're we just starting out the app. We've got our advertising industry 5K. We've got our property industry 5K is all coming out. And I know there are tools where you can do mass mailings and it's very simple. And obviously they exist. But yeah, I spend a lot of time doing individual emails to individual people in individual companies um, because having bespoke communication with people, I think is really important. So yeah, I, I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very old school in that, in that way, but yeah, writing emails to people personally and um, to link up with them in business, you know, and it's the same way what we do with, um, with our running clubs and night of the 10,000. Yeah. Keeping it personal. So yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally get that. Totally get that. And, and, and business aside, is there a favorite bit of running kit or some running accessory that you can't do without? Well, yeah, again, I'm pretty old school, but I meant to say that, I suppose, because I am, I am way beyond 50 now. Um, yeah, I, everyone runs around with it. Even my wife has got her GPS watch, her Garmin, and uh, I, I refuse to engage and I still run around with my Casio, uh, I think £7.99 from Argos. And so, um, yes, my piece of tech is essentially just knowing how long I've been running for. Brilliant. I love that. And the final question, Ben, uh, is there any advice that you give to anybody listening to this in a business role, a leadership role, considering getting more active and specifically taking up running? And you are free to welcome, uh, to, to mention LGM wellbeing as well. Of course, I would absolutely um, celebrate and welcome anyone has interest in uh, LGM wellbeing corporate running clubs. Um, but I think, yeah, whether you use us or competitors, I think I think the evidence is clear. I mean, there is there is loads and loads of peer-reviewed research in terms of physical activity and uh, mental well-being on the plus and productivity and people happily going to bat for their company. And I think I think the more that em employers look at uh, the physicality and the vitality and the health wealth, if you like, of their employees, the better they're going to get in terms of relationships and the outputs they're going to get for their company. Ben, let's pause there. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck with this year's night of the 10,000 metre PBs. I'm sure it's going to be immense. Uh, all the details in the show notes and uh, best of luck with everything with LGM Wellbeing and all the other stuff that you're up to as well. It's been great to chat. Thank you so much and all the very best. Thanks again to Ben Pochi for his time on Run the Business this week. Ben is so humble with the role that he plays in putting on Night of the 10,000 Meter PBs, but he does so much to make it happen, and that should be celebrated. Lots of people in life have ideas, but it takes someone who's willing to take action, to risk failure, to navigate problems, to create and share a vision, to make anything happen. And that's what he's done. And that should be celebrated because I know so many people are grateful to him as well for how it's allowed them to raise their performance to another level, a level they might not even have thought was possible. And that's what great leaders do. They find ways to connect a group of people together with a shared purpose and take that performance to another level. It's a lot easier said than done, but taking a 
community and an energy that comes from bringing a group of people together and focusing on that that goal uh, and making things happen and going above and beyond uh, what you think is possible is such a, a powerful message for me that comes from that story. The 2023 event is on Saturday, May 20th at Parliament Hill Athletics Track on Highgate Road in London. Uh, please attend if you can. It's, it looks like it's going to be a fantastic night. If you've enjoyed Run the Business, the podcast, then please follow, share and comment wherever you can. Let your business colleagues know. Let your running friends know. Our download figures are going up, thanks to you. But I'd love to see even more people getting involved with the show if that's possible. So if you can use a bit of your network, a bit of your energy to help spread the word further, that would be fantastic. Thank you. And also thanks to Anna Harding and Chris Kelly for their production skills in making this podcast possible. It wouldn't be possible without them. I'm Anthony Gay. And until next time, keep running and keep chasing your goals. 